It was nearly 20 years ago. My son was in high school, and it was, I felt, a particularly tempestuous time in my relationship with him. Conversations routinely led to arguments. Arguments routinely led to anger. Anger led to exasperation. Exasperation often led to ending communication, either by one or the other of us actually leaving the room or simply by erecting a wall of silence. Reflecting on this one day, I began to see and then to accept my part in this disturbing dynamic. I began to realize how high I had failed at truly listening and instead just kept talking, returning to the same old themes that I had been harping on for a long time about taking responsibility, blah, blah, blah. I decided with my new clarity to express the fruits of my self-reflection to Jack, to open up about how I felt I had made mistakes and failed to be the father I wanted to be many times. So when I picked him up from school that day, I launched into these reflections. Indeed, once I got rolling, I began to see more ways in which I may have let him down, more ways in which I had stubbornly refused to listen and to understand, more things I had done wrong or things I should have done or failed to do, things dating not only from the recent past but reaching back into his childhood. It felt liberating to be able to give voice to these revelations. Confession felt like freedom. And my intention was to help heal a relationship that I felt was hurting. My intention was to let him know that as much as I had been coming down on him for his mistakes or missteps, that I was now acknowledging mine. I intended for this to be as helpful and freeing to him as it was to me. So imagine my surprise when rather than sensing relief on his part, I saw a troubled expression, even flashes of pain moving across his face. When I finally paused in my litany of confession long enough for him to respond, after a brief silence, he asked, Am I that bad? You see what happened there? It was very clear to me what I was trying to say, and it was just as clear that that is not what he heard. My intention was to acknowledge my part in our difficulties communicating, to take some of the blame that I felt I had been dumping on him, but the impact of my words was something quite different. I was saying, these are things I see I have done or failed to do as a father, and I am sorry for that, and I will try to do better. He was hearing, you are so messed up that I must have failed as a father to have a son doing the things you're doing. Intention 
impact. Couldn't be more different. And my immediate inclination, God help me, was to say, no, 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 you've got that all wrong. You didn't understand. This is what I was trying to say. In other words, this is how you should have heard what I said. And I think I did stumble through some words along those lines, but then I stopped. As my words had not been very reliable thus far. And I just listened. And the first thing I learned was that though I felt our relationship was in shambles, he did not experience it that way at all. Sure, we had our issues, our arguments, our differences, but he did not see that as the existential crisis that I had made it. You should see some of my friends with their parents, he said. And I know there's nothing funny about that, but I did have to smile at that point. And I also learned that though clarifying for myself my part in our conflicts was important, and even thinking about ways in which I had failed to be the father I wished to be, though all of that actually felt helpful to me, that didn't mean that it would or should be helpful to him or to anyone else. Because I had felt that awareness as liberating, that didn't mean that my expression of it would feel the same way to others. My intentions, even the best of intentions, do not guarantee the impact I desire. I have to open my awareness as best I can far beyond my intentions for my words or actions to the possible impact they may have. And it's not an exact science. I can never know for sure the impact of my actions, but I can get better at predicting. I can gather information. I can listen to what people tell me. As Leslie Jameson defines empathy, it's a choice we make to pay attention, to extend ourselves. It's made of exertion. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And understand, it's not that intentions don't matter. They do. It matters what we intend with our words and actions. Melanie Tannenbaum points out in a 2013 blog post for Scientific American that when it comes to our attributions of guilt, blame, suffering, immorality, benevolence, pain, or any number of other outcomes... Our perceptions of intent are and have always been a critically important factor in our perceptions of impact. When participants are told that the actions of one individual have harmed another, the perceived intent behind that action drives whether these participants want the offender to simply apologize and compensate the harmed person careless or accidental harm, or if they want to seek retribution and punish the offender, intentional harm. Intentional acts are even seen and experienced as objectively more harmful than unintentional acts, 
even when the end results are actually identical. When participants in one study received equally strong electric shocks, those who thought the shocks were administered intentionally actually experienced them as being more painful than those who thought they were administered by accident. So intentions matter in our assessment of any given situation, and this, I think, is part of the reason why. If the harm is done intentionally, we can only assume, outside of some demonstrable change in character, that the person would do it again. They have acted knowingly. If the harm is done unintentionally, we can assume that the person acted unknowingly of the impact of their actions, that the intention was not to harm, and that once knowing the impact, the person would not repeat the same action or behavior. It assumes that those who know better do better. If I am that person, it requires that I adjust my actions or behavior to more closely meet my intentions, or at the least that I refrain from the action that caused harm, no matter how good my intentions were. But if instead I repeat the behavior, insisting that I mean well, again, that my intentions are good, again, regardless of now predictable impact, I am using intention as an excuse, as a trump card that somehow negates impact. I am asking you to honor my good intention over how you feel and asking you to value my perspective over anything you may be experiencing that does not correlate with my best intentions. And believe me, I get it. My intention was so clear in that conversation with my son from my perspective. I could imagine this conversation leading us both to new worlds of greater understanding, and I was admittedly stunned by his response. But once I paused to try and see things from his perspective, it made perfect sense. I could understand what he heard and why he heard it that way, however far it was from what I had intended. That's what I mean. It's not always easy to gauge impact. It takes its own sort of intention to be open, to listen, to practice empathy, to learn, to make mistakes, to be open, to listen, to learn, to practice empathy, to take that pause before enacting my best intentions to simply ask, even if I'm not always able to answer to ask how this might possibly be received by the other person. It takes work, because gauging the impact of our actions is not always intuitive. It does not always follow what we know as common sense. Common sense itself being a cultural construct that may look different across cultures or even across a group of individuals within a given culture. It is not always intuitive. 
Those of you familiar with Al-Anon know that our natural inclination to be helpful is not always helpful. The natural and laudable tendency to support, assist, and respond to someone in need can actually be harmful in dealing with an addict. Rather than meeting our intention of being encouraging and empowering, the helping behavior can be enabling and crippling. The impact does not correspond to the intention. Once knowing that that is true, I can either continue with the helping behavior that comes naturally, in which case I must admit that my intention has changed. It is no longer meant to help the addict, but to comfort me. Or I must change my behavior, maintain healthy boundaries, resisting, enabling sorts of assistance, even when every fiber of my being is crying out for me to be helpful in the ways I have always known to be helpful, learning how to practice such counterintuitive activities as detaching with love. I have to recalibrate my notions of helping so that my actions and behavior correspond to my intentions. We have just been experiencing and are still experiencing an example of that with this pandemic. Our natural tendency to be supportive and helpful to one another is to come together, to hug, to hold each other. And and we know that helping in this instance has us doing something quite different. Intention, impact. It has come to me slowly over great amounts of time (laughs) that one of the things I can be intentional about is refining and refocusing the actions I carry out so that the impact has a greater chance of meeting or is perceptibly closer to my best intentions. I can stay open and be willing to adjust and revise and change behavior based on the feedback I receive from others about the impact of my actions. Intentions, even the best intentions, do not override Impact, nor are they to be used as excuses. But intentions are necessary if we are to build the beloved community that Andrea Hawkins Camper spoke of, heeding the call to be a people of intention and a people of conscience. Intentions matter. I believe in intention, writes Leslie Jameson, and I believe in work. It takes work. It takes work to continuously revise and refine our best intentions based on the information we receive about impact. The hymn we heard just a little earlier, We'll Build a Land. It is a powerfully inspirational song, and... It also has some disturbing echoes of colonialism and triumphalism. Who is the we in We'll Build a Land? 
We'll build a land where we bind up the broken. We'll build a land where the captives go free, where the oil of gladness dissolves all mourning. Oh, we'll build a promised land that can be. How might this song be heard by the indigenous people of the Americas? Who is the promised land promised to? In a few moments, we will be singing, we are building a new way. And again, we are called to think about impact, to define the we in the song, to realize that the new way we speak of may actually be the old way to some people and cultures. We are open and we are willing to receiving feedback on impact so that we may refine and revise our intentions so that we may approach the work we have set for ourselves with humility rather than an unexamined, even unintentional arrogance or exceptionalism. To reflect deeply on how our actions may be experienced by others allows us to strengthen our practice of deepening connections. One of the things I loved about that Oxfam video of children sharing was the depiction of the various stages leading to empathy, kindness, and generosity. The initial stage was one child having all the food presumably put there by an adult, an authority figure, so this must be the way it is supposed to be. There was a tacit acceptance amid a slight uneasiness that this was how things were supposed to be. Gradually, those who had nothing made their feelings known, subtly or less so, and there was some acting out of, what if I had it all rather than you? And finally, there was communal effort to make things fair. It wasn't always easy, but it was doable. And in the communal focus and activity, as they chose, intended to share, there was joy. It was a choice they made to pay attention, to extend themselves. The act of choosing means they committed themselves to a set of behaviors, in the words of Leslie Jameson, greater than the sum of their individual inclinations. May we all make such choices each day. And if we carry only one resolution into this new year, let it be that we vow to listen and learn so that we may work at bringing the impact of our actions ever closer to our best intentions.